let's remain standing as we just pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us all things. We are so grateful for your generosity to us. So may our giving to you, our money, our worship, our time and our lives, be all for your glory. And as we turn to your word now, would you speak to us and point us to your son Jesus and inspire us in the power of the Spirit. Amen. 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 Do take your seats and uh, keep your Bibles open in Colossians 3 as well. Now, you may or may not know that when children are in year five or in year six at school, they and their parents start to think about secondary school. So they might go along to some open days or taster sessions, things like that, just to help explore which school they want to put first. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that I took my daughter and I said to her, right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this open day to visit this school, and before we go, we're going to get you the uniform. And when we go along to the open day, I'll show the head teacher, she's wearing the uniform, so you need to give her a place at this school. That would be a bit crazy, wouldn't it? You don't get a place in a school based on already wearing the uniform. It doesn't work like that. Here's how it works. Whenever she gets a place at the school, whenever we accept that place, that's when we know she belongs there. And that's when it's time to say goodbye to the old primary school uniform. That's when it's time to get rid of those gingham dresses and red cardigans, and it's time to put on the blazer and get that tie, because wearing that uniform hasn't earned you a place, but now you've got your place, this is exactly what you should be wearing. Now this evening, in Colossians 3, we're going to be hearing that if we are believers, we have a place, not at a school, but in the kingdom of God. So firstly, in verses 1 to 4, we will see that our place is in fact a new life that is hidden with Christ in God. And the entrance criteria is really simple. It's Christ himself. His life, his death, his resurrection, they are the means by which we gain access, we get a place. And then secondly, in verses 5 to 11, we'll consider what it means to get rid of the old uniform and put on the new one. So firstly, my first point, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, if you're a Christian, verses 1 to 4 tell you three key things about your identity. You died with Christ, that's in verse 3. And you've been raised with Christ in verse 1. And you have a future promised in verse 4. When Christ appears, that is when he returns to reign, then you will appear with him. So you died, you've been raised, you will appear with him. And already in this letter, Paul has been really emphasizing the difference becoming a Christian makes. He's used a series of descriptions to, to emphasize that contrast. 
You lived in the dominion of darkness. Now you're in the kingdom of light. That was chapter one. You were once alienated. Now you're reconciled. That was also in chapter one. You were once dead in your sins. Now you're forgiven. So dark to life, light. Alienated to reconciled, death to life. The contrast is clear. And Paul wants the church in Colossae to be absolutely 100% sure of their identity as followers of Jesus. And here in the opening verses of chapter 3, Paul is wanting his readers to have their visions lifted. Look up. Since then, in verse 1, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now the church in Colossae had been grappling with the challenges of their culture They'd been tempted to start believing that Jesus wasn't quite enough. There were people teaching that they needed a little bit of something in addition to him. There were the old religious practices of Judaism, and there were new human traditions and philosophies. So from circumcision to angel worship to harsh treatment of the body, the church in Colossae was surrounded by so many options in terms of their spiritual life. And Paul was writing to tell them, no, Jesus is enough. If you're in him, you're in him. You don't need to add these other things. I just want you to think for a moment about how these truths in um, Colossians 3 help us as we contend with the culture that we live in today. The world we live in is fairly different from the times of the Colossians. But still, the search for truth and freedom and purpose, it echoes on through all societies and through all times. One of the things that the world tells us today is that our identity is self-determined. We can discover or determine for ourselves who we really are, that there's an inner truth, perhaps even my truth. This is expressive individualism, and it, it permeates so much of what we hear, what comes at us, the stories we hear, that our identity should be determined from within. But here, God's word says no. Don't look in, look up. Your identity is not determined from within. Instead, it's hidden in God. Built on the solid foundation that is his death and his resurrection. Don't miss how profound and how freeing this is. The crippling responsibility of discovering yourself is gone. Jesus has determined who you are. You are in him. It's the very reason that Paul urges us to, in verse 1, set our hearts on things above. And then in verse 2, to set our minds on things above. 
Note that he appeals both to our hearts, that's like our emotions and our affections, but also to our minds, our thoughts, and our intellectual capacity. We as Christians are to have both our hearts and our minds set on things above, set on Jesus Christ. It's a bit like this. Have you ever spent time with someone who is in a long-distance romantic relationship? I don't know, perhaps someone who is super-duper in love, maybe they're engaged to be married, but they live a long way from one another, um, perhaps in different cities. If you've ever spent time with someone in that situation, you'll know that though they live in one place, their thoughts are often elsewhere. They're focused elsewhere. They communicate at length with somewhere else. They spend their time planning and preparing for the day when they'll be together, don't they? Now, that example is a picture, albeit a kind of dimmed and incomplete picture of what the relationship is like between God's people, the church, and Christ. We're waiting for the day when we'll be together, when we'll appear with Christ in glory, And until then, our hearts and our minds are meant to be set on a different place. Our thoughts and our affections are meant to be a little bit distracted from earthly things because they're set on things above. I don't know um, if you've ever heard the phrase, they were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly use. It sounds catchy, but I don't think it's what Paul is saying here. We know that because the rest of the letter um, to the Colossians is jam-packed with practical implications for the believers. We're going to be covering everything from personal desires, we'll look at that a bit tonight, but our attitude to others, as well as to family and household relationships and the practicalities of life within the church and further afield. No, Christians cannot possibly be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly use. Rather, our earthly lives will only look as our creator intended them to to look like when we set our hearts and our minds on the very throne room of heaven where Jesus is seated, bearing the scars of the death that he died for us and where our true lives are hidden, secured, risen, and one day to be glorified. This is who you are. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that was my first point. The second one is so don't live your old life anymore. Having a firmly established the truth of who we are as Christians and where our focus should be, Paul moves on then to show us what a life hidden in Christ will look like in the here and now. Verses 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, 
But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul is saying to the church in Colossae that their new life in Christ is incompatible with the old way that they used to live. Now, I recently attended a clothes swap And I'm sure that some of you may have been to events a little bit like this. You have a group of people who bring along a handful of clothes um, that they don't want anymore and then exchange them for other people's unwanted clothes. The hope is that you get rid of clothes that you don't want or like anymore and you leave with a few items of clothing that are new to you. Now, here's what's going through our head when we're deciding which clothes to take to donate to a clothes swap. We're thinking, that doesn't fit me anymore. That never really suited me. I never wear it. That color doesn't really suit. It's not me. And this is a little bit like what Paul is saying here. He's saying you need to get rid of these things. You need to chuck away the clothes that belong to the old life. If your life is in Christ, greediness doesn't suit you anymore. In your new life in Christ, words of slander and deceit, they don't fit. They're not your style. Sexual immorality and impurity and lust, these aren't clothes that hang well on the Christian frame. You need a new look that matches your new identity. And the first step towards having a new wardrobe is having a good old rummage around and figuring out what is lurking in there that doesn't have a place, and then taking decisive action. And honestly, this can be painful. It can be hard to face up to the reality of what our lives used to look like. Verse six is like looking in the worst mirror, in the worst possible lighting, as it dawns on us The wrath of God is coming because of the idolatry of the human race. Let us not minimize the seriousness of sin in all its forms, personal and global. The depth and depravity of sin in all its selfishness and idol worship and injustice. It demands only one response from a good and holy God. And that is just anger. So as we look in the mirror, as we recall the wrath of God that was held against our old lives, we can recall too that because of Jesus, through his death on the cross, we have been offered forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption a new life hidden with Christ. We also, we also don't need to pretend that there aren't elements of our old lives that continue to stubbornly hang on into our new lives. Sanctification takes time. 
we shouldn't be naive about the fact that you and I still sin. Remember that the people that Paul was writing to here, they were already Christians. And yet it's evident that there was still some putting off to do in their lives. We shouldn't be surprised if the putting on of the new style, the new wardrobe, the new look, it takes a lifetime of the Holy Spirit's work. And that the area that Paul draws our attention to firstly is in verse 5. It's to our sexual conduct. You know, N.T. Wright says that all the things listed in verse 5 are in order and that one precedes the other. So sexual immorality, that is any sexual activity that doesn't honor God, is preceded by impurity. So there's an impure thought that leads to an immoral action. And that impure thought is preceded by a lust, by a passion. And behind the lust is an evil desire. And the root of all is idolatry, that is greed. Friends, the cultural air we breathe in 2023 has a lot to say about our sexual feelings. The world around us is telling us that our sexual desires are core to our personal identity. The world tells us we must recognize and wherever possible, act upon those desires. That in order to be fully alive, to be fully human, we will need to pursue sexual activity and find sexual fulfillment. But where the world has got something right, it is true that we are well-designed in sexed bodies, male and female, and our physical bodies are capable of giving and receiving sexual pleasure, and that's a good thing. So where, the, where we've got some things right, the world has also got some things profoundly wrong. It is not the case that all sexual desires are inherently good. Some desires, in fact, are evil, and at the root of them is greed. Those desires are not to be acted upon. They're not to be validated. They are not to be quietly tolerated. Instead, they're to be snuffed out. N.T. Wright says this, to put something to death, you must cut off its lines of supply. It is futile and self-deceiving to bemoan one's ability to resist the last stage of temptation where earlier stages have gone by unnoticed or even eagerly welcomed. The Bible gives us good boundaries around which this precious gift of our sexuality is to be enjoyed. These boundaries include marriage, a lifelong commitment between a husband and a wife within which the gift of sex is to be enjoyed with generosity and considerate love. Our disordered world and our selfish hearts are at work. But let's be clear, God's standards are high. And the old ways, the old ways which say, I want your body tonight, but I can't commit to tomorrow. 
or the old way that says, I want to enjoy the goodness of one flesh with you now without waiting to make a covenant vow. Or the old way that says, if you want me to be faithful to you in this marriage, you're going to have to agree to whatever it may be. Or the old way that says, I want to enjoy sexual pleasure at the sight of these images without a consideration for the price that's been paid by the victims in them. All of these things and more are rooted in greed, which is idolatry. Friends, the greatest guard against sexual sin is the love of Christ. Only the knowledge of his love and his acceptance of you, the power of his love, the fullness of his grace and forgiveness. Christ alone is strong enough to dethrone the idolatry that underpins our sexual sin. It's not a surprise to God that sinful habits associated with the old self, whatever form they may take, that they're still a struggle for us. He knows where our fantasies take our thoughts and where our screens take our eyes and where our bodies and actions lead us. He knows. And the answer to this private idolatry as it ebbs away at our contentment and slowly desensitizes us and dehumanizes others, the answer is Christ himself. The very one who reconciled us, who's given us light and life, and in whose lives our our lives are now hidden. He has already paid the price for your sin. He's already put your sin to death. So put your sin to death. He has already put your sin to death. So put your sin to death. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self. In these verses, Paul is urging the believers to get rid of various practices, to put them behind you. This anger and rage, these ways of speaking need to be put out of the way because they're not who you are anymore. Paul lists anger and rage, those inner emotions, strong and hateful urges that boil up within us. And then he connects them to actions and words that overspill, malice and slander and words that dishonor God. I don't think Paul is talking here about the kind of righteous and holy anger that characterizes godliness. Remember, he's already referenced the wrath of God in verse 6. But rather here, he's calling out the kind of selfish and human anger where we aren't getting what we want, where we've enthroned ourselves. And out of that spills a hot mess of angry thoughts and dangerous words. Have you ever got cross about something and decided to let off steam? You feel as if, if only you can have a good rant about that, 
behind closed doors, or perhaps say something really public and cutting, then you'll be satisfied. But quite often, it's the opposite. The more we put words to our ugly feelings, the more we fan them into flames. And in drawing others in, we create more mess and more upset, and we stir up more feelings of rage in the hearts of others, and the hurt and the pain expand. In our friendship groups, in our workplaces, in our communities, and above all, in our churches, let's put behind us the old ways. Many a deliberate word or a careless whisper or an angry text can be deployed in times of emotion. But instead, let's be wise and cautious about putting words on our lips that may be more dangerous than we first realize. I'm sure you've noticed that people who spend time together often start to speak like each other. Children often absorb what their parents say and then repeat it. Friends who spend time together start to use the same turns of phrases. You sound like those you spend time with. Well, here in verse 10, we're offered a much better and more profound form of changing how we speak becoming like our creator. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We have a new life, a new life which is being renewed in relationship with God himself. Just as people who spend time together start to speak like one another, how much more then with this new self on can we be changed and renewed and which to make us look or even rather speak like Jesus. Not just because we can spend a bit of time with him, but because our whole life is hidden with him. Just as in the sins of the body, so here in the sins of the tongue, the answer to tackling our thought lives and our wayward words is not trying harder or adding more rules. The answer is Christ himself. And it's not simply the individual and their private and personal faith in Jesus, important though that is, but Paul is actually addressing the whole church when he says, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, the Colossians were likely a diverse bunch of people. And it isn't that their individuality is erased when they became believers, but rather that as a diverse group of people with all these different backgrounds, they were to recognize their unity in Jesus Christ. All of them, and indeed all of us, regardless of our background, we are united in Christ and in a desire to live the new way, to wear the new clothes. Just as a school uniform doesn't stop you being you, but it does mark you out as being part of a community, so the call here is for each of us, 
in our beautiful diversity to put on the clothes of the gospel community. Not so we can cease to be ourselves, but so we can become the most Christ-like version of ourselves, just as God made us to be. This is a picture of a new community, a gathering of those who say, my life is hidden with Christ in God and I don't want to live, we don't want to live the old way anymore. A gathering of those who want to get rid, put behind them the things that belong to the old self, all the actions that would fracture and break relationships and put on the new self, be made new by Jesus. A gathering of those who are not divided by their human status or their religious background, but are united in saying with confidence, Christ is all and Christ is in all. Christ is enough. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we know our old ways. We know who we used to be and we know who you've made us. We cling to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our only hope. We know he is enough. And by the power and the presence of his spirit with us, would you help us to look up, to set our hearts and our minds on things above? Would you help us to take off the old self and put on the new self and have hearts that cry with thankfulness? Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Amen.